the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. How you guys doing out there? Welcome to another Wednesday. Hopefully your week has been beautiful and productive. Today I am being blessed. I am joined by Dr. Belinda Coker, who is a Chief Medical Officer, GP and consultant. Um, she works in the virtual healthcare space and she knows much more much 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 more than me and lots of people in regards digital transformation and as well as clinical governance so i managed to persuade her to join us on this show to have a conversation around digital transformation and how can we remove some of the friction to enable projects to or or initiatives to go smoothly along and obviously for the betterment for patients and people that consume healthcare. So no further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Belinda Coker to the Mic Drop Club. How are you doing? You okay? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, the pleasure is all mine. (laughs) (laughs) How's your day been thus far? Yep, it's a good day. Uh, uh, Yeah, been productive so far. So yeah, good to have a Nice uh, break to to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And one of the things I always like to kick off with um, guests is how they got into the digital transformation space. As a doctor yourself, what was your journey like? Um, Well, I'd say that my journey is has been um yeah so it's an interesting journey so i uh, work with digital health companies um and i work mainly actually in in, in the area of, of quality and, and safety so i work to ensure that products and services are safe um and that they follow best practice and meet um, regulatory standards mm-hmm. um and and overall provide a good experience for users and users includes clinicians so you know all of us that, that provide a frontline service as well as um, patients or consumers, depending mm-hmm. on, on the company. Um, and yeah, so really that's, um, that's what I do. And I started off originally <clears throat> in the GP by background and I started off working in, in clinical commissioning um, and service transformation um, and service design. Um, through clinical commissioning groups. And then I moved into healthcare provision and became um, executive medical director of um, a GP out of hours, as you would say, an urgent care service provider. Mm -hmm. Um, And during that time, I was also working at NHS England, um, really in the medical, uh, really kind of dealing with performance and performance of, 
of healthcare professionals, um, GPs mainly, but also in primary care and um, and GP practices. Wow! Wow! So, yeah, so that's what I was doing then, and and actually, it was really during my time at, um, as as a medical director that I really, I mean. We were a small company and we actually grew into into a medium-sized company. So it was a lot of a lot of work to really build um build a new brand and 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 really grow the company through um through uh, really through tender and through and through really uh, growing our service offering. And during that time, as the, the company grew, it needed to take on uh, more more people and actually really try and achieve more and to to really focus on strategy and really to build a company you need to be able to have all these systems in place and so it became so important and it was just every every step of the way it just became it digital health yes. IT, digital health um and so really that's how i came to start doing this because i thought actually i don't really know much about this particular area and and it's so important. It's just, it's so important. So, um, after I, um, after that, so that was 2016, I started working, um, doing my consultancy in digital health more specifically. So, um, I worked for companies like, um, Babylon, did some work with the Hurley group and their e-consult, um, e-consult hub, the e-hub, sorry, I should say mm-hmm. e-hub rather than e-consult. Um, but that was using their e-consult and, and then I joined Lantern and I've worked with other companies like Thriver and Live Smart across this and Innovate UK. Um, so that's just how, how it's kind of panned out over the last few years. Excellent. And would you say that um, the whole digital, agenda, um, digital health agenda is accelerating more now um, than it ever has before? Uh, I'd say from really from where across because actually we look at just the uk and let's mm-hmm. say actually it's been it's been really happening for quite a period of time of the last what 10 15 years um so i wouldn't necessarily say it was accelerated but maybe what the awareness um or, or maybe the adoption is is improving um but actually when you look abroad and even just go to scotland australia um you know other, other countries and you see actually that that in many aspects uk are quite quite far ahead mm. um and mm. so so it's accelerating around the around the world um that's my that's my opinion or that's what i've, I've seen and yes. people i've spoken to um so yeah yes and now obviously your your journey has been varied um working both within the NHS and mm. for external um, software companies adding value in the health space. Now, managing that, have you ever, were you ever doing them both simultaneously, both inside and outside? Um, yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's still, yes. Well, I wouldn't say yes. Yes, because I've been working as a clinician the whole time. Yeah. And so, um, I worked as a GP uh, through so for the Hurley Group through their eHub. Um, also for Libby until very recently, um, Libby as a online GP, um, and then uh, an out of hours and just general locomy. Mm. So I've always been a, a, a GP in, in the NHS. I've still remained kept my clinical practice. 
um, going. So I'd say that I've been doing, yes, a bit of both for quite some time. And, and even the work I did as a medical director, we were an independent, but we were an NHS provider, but we we're still an independent company. So it was kind of falling between, um, you know, kind of being an NHS organisation and actually um, falling into, into, I suppose, independent care provisions. So. Sure, sure. So one of those things are in terms of um, working within the NHS and also seeing the challenges that independent companies have, you know, there's a lot of value, I, in my opinion, that you maintain your clinical registration. You're actually still close to your patients and you understand those challenges. Um, do, do you have any challenges when you are to, to maintain your registration, doing your hours and all of that, as well as maybe <laughs> going to a boardroom meeting when you're still having clinical issues revolving around in your head? How, what was it like for you? What is it like? And how do you manage that? Yeah, so I, uh, when I was working on, on the board, because um, I was um, a board director, um, most of my work, my clinical work would be in the evenings all the weekends, mm. actually. So um, so I didn't tend to do clinical practice during the day and then attend board meetings like some doctors do. And um, I think for me personally, <laughs> I, I, I'd find that, that um, because it, I'd find that bit difficult, or I'd find that a bit challenging. Because mm. um, when you're seeing a patient as attending surgery, you'd have your morning surgery, your afternoon surgery, and then have to make a board meeting at lunchtime. Um, I think that may be a bit easier for the GP partners rather than the salary doctors. And I've never been a GP partner or okay. you want it to be. So, um, so, so yes, I think I, I just had to develop systems around, or, or should I say, I'm not sure whether I developed systems. Uh, yeah, I did. I really mm. developed those systems so that I could make the work work yeah. <laughs> or make it work for the work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause sometimes when, when we complete, well, when I would complete, um, see, uh, 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 was going for, for roles and they'll look at all the stuff I do. They'll say, sometimes you don't have enough time in the day <laughs> to do all these things. Yeah. It's a prerequisite. Yes. Um, you did talk about quality and safety. That's what you, you focus a lot on as well at the moment, you know, to, under, to, to be that clinical safety officer, you should, it's almost a prerequisite your clinician. <laughs> you see? Yes. Yeah. But then uh, absolutely. Yeah. So um And actually to to really um especially if you're if, if you're providing a service that uses clinicians, um, to be able to to know what kind of uh, issues that clinicians are are facing. Yeah. Um it can be really helpful when you're when you're trying to deal with them. Um, performance issues related to clinicians which 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 is what I had to do um but also yes and then obviously to to get feedback from 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 the patients as well so um so yeah definitely work when you're on a in a company it is really helpful to be able to provide some clinical um sessions yeah. but then you kind of have that that there is, there is a bit of a um I wouldn't say it was necessarily a conflict, but actually it is. And I've spoken to other uh, other clinicians that have also um, had a portfolio of management work, and and actually you get to the point where actually which which one does take priority, or which yes. one 
are you able to really give proper commitment to, um, you know, and to be safe? So in a way, what I had to do is, is just reduce my scope of practice. So rather than being an in-hours GP and seeing kind of a really wide range of chronic illness, I moved into out-of-hours where um, it's mostly urgent care, um, dealing with urgent care issues. And, and so that's that's one way of kind of, of managing but kind of keeping up to date with with um you know with, with the clinical practice sure you spoke about systems you put you put in place systems so you can manage all of these different elements mm-hmm. how should i say um so mm-hmm. what systems do you have that sit outside of the work like how do you de-stress you know how then do you relax um how do you navigate? What sort of systems? Because I know quite a few people who followed the Mic Drop Club are in this position mm. or in, or in a similar position. Mm. So, mm. any useful tips you can share? <laughs> mm. Well, that's part of the reason why I decided to to uh, work. Or say, do this consultancy, run the consultancy because it gave me the flexibility. Um, so, I've always had a portfolio rather than um, well, I say always. Um, it's been a while since I've been in a kind of salary position where I've had to work kind of nine to five um, for a full week. Mm. Um, when I was a medical director, it was technically a three-day role, although work didn't really fit into three days, so you know it had to be flexible. Um, but but what I tend to do is is have a really flexible calendar. Um, I book my um, sessions, my my clinical sessions. Um, pretty much pretty quite um quite late um i say like late to kind of relatively um so I, I stick with banks or with locum um companies where i can book uh kind of you know maybe a week before or a couple of weeks before sure. rather than booking six weeks ahead or eight weeks ahead um or three months ahead um just because so i can keep flexibility within my my schedule um so yeah say just being flexible has really allowed a, a lot of that. Um, and in terms of de-stressing, um, I mean, for me, I started practicing yoga probably like in 20, 2015, and that's mm-hmm. been so important, um, yeah, for, for me physically, mentally. Um, and I've had quite a number of health challenges as well, um, again, which is why flexibility has really worked. Um, so... Yeah, so the, the, and I have a really supportive husband. Well, exactly. So it's a big deal. You need support, and that's, I was waiting for exactly. that to come out. <laughs> what is her support no, mechanism? Yeah. Who is there <laughs> in her corner? You know that yoga is fantastic. I think that is a common theme I'm getting from a lot of senior mm. healthcare prof- professionals is yoga, um, being able to mm. zone out get your body in, into positions whereby you're more receptive to that relaxation feeling is is mm-hmm. yeah i'm getting that i i myself have not done yoga pro- properly yet mm-hmm. I, my sister invited me to a bikram yoga session i did it once about four or five years okay. ago never went again oh yeah it was it was full on it was full on the heat was off the <laughs> off the chart but i was bending my body into into positions that, that were like in the womb 
I'd never known consciously <laughs> my body could bend in certain places. My problem was <laughs> my problem was afterwards. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, the soreness, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and also with yoga, it really does help to be consistent with it. So um, yeah. the more consistent you are and and the warmer you are as well, um, almost in a way, the easier it is. Um, so, but yeah, consistency is really important. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So you, you're managing the work-life balance as best as you can. You have systems in place mm. to enable you to move forward. Um, do you have support within practice as well do, are they aware of the, of the challenges that you might be facing i know you work at, on your own terms in terms of the um, mm. you're non-salaried so you literally can pick you can have yeah. less um constraints as if you were if you're doing a straight 95 um i mean it's, 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 there have been where I have had consistent relationships with um you know, with the kind of the lead GPs, et cetera, um, then, then yes, you know, the, there's definitely been support. And actually I tended to work for, um, I say practices or, or groups where, where actually there is more support because mm-hmm. I personally find that being a GP can be really lonely. Um, and I like to work and, 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 you know, socialize and I, I, I like, um, I just like banter, so cool. definitely have had a lot of fun on the hub. Um, <laughs> and when I became, first became a GP, I've worked for the Holy Group since the beginning, and I always we had to we would meet up together at lunch, and, and I, I think other places I've worked at, we haven't quite had that kind of same, um, yeah, that kind of same practice. So okay, so I just tend to work for places where it's a little bit more more sociable. Excellent. And that's probably keeping with your own character. Um, yes, exactly. That's yeah. for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally relate to that. Um, as we are moving through this pandemic, this global pandemic, um, how critical is digital health right now? Um, well, right now it's been, I suppose it has been more important is it more important and it's always, I think it has been important but actually it's been crucial um to, to help over this particular pandemic um <clears throat> and fortunately seeing a kind of a real growth in adoption of of um remote consultations uh across the board of that we've been so acute and primary care and in secondary care. Um, and if I want to say, you know, kind of digital health, I mean, there, there has been, so I, I use, you know, virtual, say virtual health, but actually I've been using kind of phones, the telephone as a form of a, a mode of consultation for, for quite a long time. And, and GPs in particular are very, um, uh, experienced in using, or well, I say many GPs, and when we when we start training, actually have kind of three or four days of training in, in telephone consultations. So, um, but but they, they haven't been used in a kind of widespread, purely, um, I guess, a kind of a whole system of or model of consultation. Um, so that's been what's really important. Otherwise, people wouldn't have been able to or felt 
safe to to come uh, or to to consult with their doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, when I was um, speaking with patients, I was using the Libby service, and even some of the patients who did have really serious symptoms like chest pain were really reluctant to go to accident emergency. Um, and you know, some of them have been sitting on symptoms for a couple of days. Um, that was really worrying. So whilst digital has enabled us to enable doctors to be able to talk to to the patients, actually we still need we still need that face to face, we still need those yes. those essential services. Um it'd be great if there was some way that we can um provide more care at home. Um and, and I think they, they're going to work very well together with some sort of combination of digital and and your kind of traditional um, service delivery. Exactly, exactly. And there was a, this whole notion of telehealth being somehow shunted to, to the left because we're looking at this whole digital health innovation types type stuff. But yet the common denominator is, I guess, communication. How then do we enable communication between professionals and um, healthcare consumers? And that, in a sense, not everybody wants to have a video conversation. Not everybody wants to go in to see the GP. People communicate on on different levels and through different medium. I think I've seen myself my this whole journey whereby. Digital health is our umbrella term for covering a lot of potentially transformational pieces of work. But I still think it is more another variant. It's a more like a change, a step change, and add into a, a, a portfolio of different ways that we can engage and empower the patient. Yeah. I mean, well, digital health is, is just, I mean, it really covers a really wide range of of different services and and digital will include you other industries like um, your farm, pharma uh, pharmaceuticals right through from how you deliver your trials to um, how you di- dispense um, you know dispense and deliver medication to to the consumer um, but then also like I said in in, in actually also uh, healthcare delivery um, and and like you said communication, um, different aspects of communication, uh, products um, to really help pe- uh, people, help empower people mm-hmm. to be able to look after themselves and to be able to, to know how to, you know, what, what, what to look out for, what, what, to, to understand their bodies even better. Yeah. Um, so maybe yeah, body, body literacy, um, you know, there's just so much that, digital health can encompass um so so yeah it, it, it is important yeah. that's that's an excellent term and this is the first time i've heard this phrase and on on this show we like to do um mic drops so <laughs> as the name of the show is mic drop club mm-hmm. so when you say something that's profound and resonates well you get one of these and you're going to get one of these mic drops just now okay guys everybody ready Atomic mic drop. You so needed that mic drop. 
Like a capital reader getting some. Yeah. <laughs> you so needed that body literacy. Thanks. Body literacy. I know we're going off off mm. script somewhat, but this is a term that I have not heard in digital transformation around digital health. Our body mm. literacy. Can you just mm. break that down for the audience, please? Mm. Mm. So, well, body literacy is, uh, this is actually what I've been working on in my, say, side, side hustle, the side hustle, side hustle. Um, which, is, <laughs> um, which is really uh, trying to help in, in empower people to understand how their bodies work, um, to understand why they become sick and how they can prevent this, uh Self from becoming unwell, how they can look after their health. So, it, I mean, you might say it's it's just education, um, but it's really actually understanding yourself as an individual, understanding. Um, so, for instance, for women, and understanding the menstrual cycle, and understanding what kind of um, symptoms you might get every month, or what kind of things could trigger certain. Um, um, certain symptoms, whether that might be food or that might be um, lack of rest, you know, lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just really kind of just understanding your own body as, as 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 an individual, and then being in a position to be able to speak to your healthcare professional um, with with more knowledge and with with more confidence. Brilliant, because I guess there's so there's one thing in being able to take your medication as prescribed if medication is part of the mm. treatment plan, but understanding how it affects your physiology and how, what your physiology mm. is doing before exactly. you took the medication and after this is you entering a, a, a world of empowerment that is not mm-hmm. frequently discussed too often. And I'm talking from the mental health background. We're so fixated of just adherence. Just take it. You'll yeah. be fine. Um, but then we in health got to be uh, courageous enough and to know that we are could be Turkey's vote for Christmas in some of the transformational programs we're putting in place because we want the patient to be independent. Yes. Yeah, we don't want them to come back. <laughs> yes, unless they need to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. We, we, we want them to be able to help themselves and come to us when needed. Yes. Um, and, and and it sounds like that's what what the agenda has always been. It's just not much has been done to help that or in a way that maybe, you know, that I, I suppose at the end of the day, everything has to work for the for the individual and, and it has to be delivered in a way that is is relevant. Mm-hmm. And unless it's relevant, then oh, I guess that's like, good old what's in it for me <laughs> you know, why would I do this yeah. um you know then then it's not really going to be so successful but it is it is a long a long kind of long-term I suppose yeah you know way of, of working um rather than as you said just saying take this do that do that I know best um and yeah because actually that's that's where patients may not necessarily follow um, the guidance that's been given and because they don't necessarily understand why. Exactly. 
Exactly. And you, you did say something about what is it, what's in it for me? <laughs> this is, and I hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear <laughs> all too often. And in digital transformation, whereby you will get resistance, friction, barriers mm-hmm. to entry, all of these types of things. What is it? What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. Is one of those things that is the, is the elephant in the room. When you talk, <laughs> how do you, let's just talk about how do you address challenges? And maybe this will come up within the conversation piece. What's in it for me? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> mm, but it, but it's, it, it's so true because what's in it for, for me, uh, maybe what's, you know, what's in it for me as somebody trying to deliver the change is very different to what's in it for me as the manager that has to implement the change or mm-hmm. for me as the patient that has to run the service as the doctor that has to deliver the service. And so everybody's needs are, can be quite different and it can be challenging to meet that what's in it for me and really have to understand more about, about those particular people that you're trying to bring change um, in, into their into their lives. Um, yeah. I think that's why adoption has been slow in 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 particular areas in healthcare, digital health. Sorry, digital adoption in digital health because actually, you know, many clinicians will think, "Well, this is actually going to take up my time. It's going to slow me down. What's in it for me? Is it really going to make my life easier? Is it really going to help me?" care for my patients um better than what i'm doing now um and so yeah really when you can show you that um and there have been companies that have shown that um you know then then they kind of blow up don't they? they just do really yeah um they achieve really great things so that's um yeah what's in it for me is so important do you have any um technique that you use or like say you're up against a lot of resistance Nurses are notori- mm. notorious of putting their feet down, <laughs> saying no, mm. no. Um, mm-hmm. wh- what sort of techniques do you have when you're up against that um, proverbial brick wall, as it were? Mm. Um, I'd say that the, the which is which which is what I apply to I say patients as well as in in in, in this kind of. Um, delivery service uh transformation roles are the same it's it's really about listening and trying to understand what their worries are and then convincing and and actually the way to convince is actually to to demonstrate and to find a way to demonstrate that 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 a that you can help um uh, alleviate that worry in some way mm-hmm. um and b that that you'll be a bit better provide the support um and and i think if in particular if things are difficult to to change or to to implement um then then knowing that you kind of have that backup or that that support um makes a big difference um and so for somebody, I might say that, well, you know, I'm here, this is my email, this is my phone, this is something, or, you know, or I'll come come back or we can just chat about this. Um, so it's, but that's just how, how I found, how I found it to, to have that kind of success with, as I said, throughout 
everything that I do. Sure, because I guess that's the humanistic part of digital transformation. When we strip away some of these abbreviations and hot words, underneath it is a real (laughs) human um, challenge, which is the management of change, transformation, and being able to um, recognise that, um, acknowledging acknowledging it and enabling people to talk through some of their, their, their fears, their concerns, the worries, all of those things. And as you said, demo, you'd be able to then demonstrate how you can support them is excellent. I love, love the way you interpret what I'm saying because you're, 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 you're saying exactly what I Say, so I like that thing. <laughs> no, but you're saying <laughs> I'm just listening. I'm just listening, and you've only got one mic drop. So let's see how you're gonna get get on. Um, but yeah, that's that 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 is it for me. That that reaffirming that the principles that drive transformation are still human ones. <laughs> yes. So yes. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why I like that side of 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 of, of change. I said change and transformation. Mm. I'm less into the kind of the the deep the deep technical side, yeah. <laughs> and I'm more at the at the, at the front yeah um, front side. Oh, brilliant! That's, yeah, that's where I prefer to be. So do I. That that's the space I'm more comfortable in. Um, mm. Yeah, if I had to pick any place to really sit in. The technology is is always transient. You know, there's always another iteration of something else. But the human, that's the that's the common denominator in everything that we're doing here. Um, it's just a bit of future gazing because I'm very conscious of your time, Belinda, and, and I don't really want to take up a lot of your your time. I know you're very very busy, so I do appreciate you taking this time out in the first place. It's about future gazing around where we're we going with this digital health technology. You know, we've got AI that's that's now knocking, knocking, knocking on the door. Mm. Um, everything needs to have some AI component to it. Or oh, sorry, it will seem. What mm. are your views around that? And what, what sort of safeguards do you think we might need to be considering? Um, well, I mean, we're not quite there yet with, with AI. And obviously over time it will as 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 um, as the technology um, develops and and becomes more refined, then yes, um, we'll really well. If we you'll see that it will be really um, have a really great impact on on how healthcare services delivered. Um, and if it does work out, you know, then it will be you know fantastic. Um, I think in terms of safeguards. Really, the the most important aspects would be to make sure that that data is um, that's used is representative, um, and that it's tested again on a representative population. Um, mm. Sorry, or on a population that's representative of who's going to be using it, um, and and that includes um, that includes women and that includes uh people of um well people of color and includes uh people with different varying different uh um 
diseases. Uh, so it's, it just has to be just representative of who's going to be using it. And I guess that's the fear with, with it is, is with, it's, it's who's, who's creating it, who's developing these, um, uh, you know, the, these algorithms and etc. Who are they really understanding what is required, what it's like on, at the front front end, what, what people, um, again, going back to that human element, what humans really experience and how they think and what they, um, what the, the issues are that, that's, that they face. Um, and I suppose until that's really, oh, sorry. And the other area is, is, uh, is privacy and protection of, of data and, and general ethics, mm-hmm. um, of, of, of AI, but um, you know, I think that more and more awareness is being raised about how you know about these particular elements, and so, and I think there are becoming there are more people that are becoming uh, representing um, the creation and development of, of AI technology. So we just hope, you know, I say hope because as I said, it's not really my area mm. um, of expertise, but I really just hope that, um, that, that these kind of issues really are addressed. Um, so that when someone like me comes along, um, you know, and I am black and I'm female, but, but actually it will, it will, it will detect, you know, detect my needs and, and, and interpret them in the in a way that works for me. I don't know how that's possible. It's a good um, um, goal for, for AI to most definitely be representative. And I would certainly second everything that you're saying there, particularly in the climate that we're in. You know, sometimes you, you want to shy away, not you, sometimes people want to shy away from some of the most difficult conversations that are plaguing society right now in terms of race, gender, um, sexuality, all of these things. These are very, very difficult subjects to discuss openly. However, AI does present the opportunity for us to ensure safeguards are put in place in those algorithms that take into consideration people's protected characteristics. That's so, so, so important. And my, my concern has always been and this is after working with quite a few software companies, a lot of developments done by stereotypically, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong, and I will remain humble, humbled. Mm-hmm. Um, younger, younger people with, we used to like to call them geeks with beards or geek, geeks without beards. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how we used to call them in dark rooms, coding. Not a lot of worldly experience, <laughs> should I say. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is the problems. This is a potential problem. If they don't have they're not worldly people, you could omit things just based upon you just don't know or never consider something. So being able mm-hmm. to have some sort of safeguards to ensure um then now this is bringing it back to uh, the beginning when you talked about quality and safety aspects, mm-hmm. you know, the DCB zero one two nine one six oh to start enabling people to start thinking of what AI could be doing. You know, I, when I done my DCB training, we weren't really talking about AI at the time. Not sure if you have. Same with mine. 
Yeah. yeah. The same. Yeah. So I think, so, so, yeah. So certainly there's a refresh <laughs> that, that, that is coming there. And um, yeah. But actually, I think that what you were saying about um, uh, just generally, I think this applies generally, not just in, in AI, but across all of digital health, is that is that many of the people that are doing the kind of the, the, the technical side or that are yeah, in technical delivery, um, that are building the products, aren't necessarily aren't representative of the population that they are serving. Um, and it's, it's a real shame. And I think even not just representation, but actually even just having some clinical input, I mean, how many just digital health companies do not, you know, consult with, with clinicians mm. or with the people that are going to be using their products, yeah. um, uh, and have them involved in making sure that they are safe and that they are, um, of, of good quality and that, actually they're you know i say authentic um and that they are you know really using based on best practice and they're not just kind of misinterpreting what um a um, i just want to use the example of kind of a fertility testing and you know um there are there's certain hormone tests that are now being uh you know kind of promoted as is kind of this wonder miracle that you can predicts your fertility um you know your ability to to have a child um in the future and it just just feels it just feels wrong to be honest so yeah. i just think that they have to be really really very careful um and be and use you know use the right people um in your you know when you're building your products and when you're you know implementing them yeah exactly the whole the whole notion of um, clinically enabled digital transformation is not fully acknowledging a lot of software companies. There's been a plethora yeah, of... Yeah, validated. Yeah, exactly. The validation, you know, um, this is where it goes. Again, back to what you were talking about, you're managing your clinical um, role as well as the transformational digital roles as well. And you've maintained the registration. I've spoken to quite a few clinicians, or should I say ex-clinicians that sit and work for software companies. And I always ask them, you know, how relevant are your skills? You know, when's the last time you actually had a conversation with somebody practicing? You know, some people have been far, so far removed five, 10 years ago. We know just in terms of lingo, <laughs> just in terms of lingo, mm-hmm. things change all, um, all the time. It's a constant moving target. So, you're, you're, you're bang on the money there in terms of getting clinicians involved. And I would say, get them involved early, but also give them some sort of authority. Um, yeah. my, my early journeys in, in, as an informatician were to test software, but also to feedback. But then if you didn't, if you were not empowered with the ability to act, yeah. it was almost like I'm just, you're just there as a tick box ex- exercise. I've consulted a clinician. Yeah. And they've signed it off. <laughs> yes, that, that's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, um, Belinda, no, thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. In terms of the, any exciting projects that you're working on now that you're able to share? Oh, I, I've set up a, a blog, um, but I'm building, um 
well, in the earliest stages of, of building a product. But right now it's a, it's a blog called yourtrustedsquad.com. Your trusted. And this, your trusted squad. Squad. Cool. Yes. Um, and it has involved, but really it's, again, I was just talking about body literacy um, and digital health. It's really trying to empower um empower users and readers to to get to and particularly now it's, it's actually mainly focused um on women um to really understand understand the body how the bodies work and to be able to really identify when there are issues that they need to to seek uh, medical advice on and areas where they can um manage the course like self-care and they can they can use digital health tools to be able to um, monitor mental health, monitor um, physical health, um, and so so yes, it's just really kind of encom- encompassing the use of digital health in yeah in in making people feel feel healthy and and look after their well being. Oh, great, so great that's stuff! What I'm working on great stuff. Mm-hmm. Your trusted squad, yeah. Excellent. So what I'll do is for the listeners out there, I'm going to put all the information on how best you can get hold of Belinda. She's a very busy, busy lady. So, but look out for your trusted squad. Great concept, I must say, and refreshing as well. You know, so I'm I'm super, super pumped up to take a look at that as as it forms and track your progress. And hopefully we can have further dialogue down the line in this digital transformational journey that we're all on um no thank you belinda thank you and all the best to you as well yeah we'll keep in touch fantastic i look forward to seeing how how your um ventures progress as well super super okay guys thank you have a fantastic week guys thank you for listening Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life, make life boom.